Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You know, I've always been a lucky guy. Back home, I want a haircut. <laughs> what the heck kind of contest is that? Well, it wasn't really a contest. It was uh, just policy. See if the barber nicks your ear, you get a free haircut. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, a podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and here with me to discuss the season four episode, Fools and Their Money, returning guest, founder of the Right On Podcast Network, Ashford Wright. What's up, Ashford? Ryan, hello. I'm happy to be here. Hi. Good. I don't know if you uh, placed any money on the outcome of this episode, whether we were going to have a good session or not. So if you want to parlay it, now's the time. You know what? I'm just going to go with the push, which I call you get to live another day. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, as I said, we were talking about season four, episode 12, Fools and Their Money. This episode is written by Heidi Perlman, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date, Thursday, December 19th, 1985. When Woody gets on a hot streak betting on football games with the gang, they casually mention how much more money he could win if he placed bets with a professional bookie. Woody jumps at the idea, but Diane and Sam urge him not to throw away all of his savings on long-shot bets. Woody persists, and Sam reluctantly agrees to place Woody's bets with a bookie he trusts. It seems that Woody's lucky streak continues when he hits his parlay that would net him $10,000. The only problem is Sam, in an effort to protect Woody from losing his savings on what he thought was a terrible gamble, never placed the bets with his bookie and thus never won Woody the money. Sam tells Diane, who tries to help Woody realize that money isn't that important. When that fails, Sam brings Woody into the office and confesses. Instead of being crushed, Woody is appreciative that Sam tried to protect him. Sam feels so guilty he tries to make it up to Woody, so Woody asks for Sam's car. When Sam refuses to give it over, Woody accuses Sam of not feeling truly guilty. Sam decides that Woody will only really forgive Sam after they spend 30 minutes singing Home on the Range, an old trick that Coach used to employ. Out in the bar, the rest of the gang hears the singing from the office and joins in the song. Uh, All right. And as Cliff would say, it's a little known fact. According to the IMDb trivia section, the $10,000 that Woody could have won in 1985, if you fast forward back to 2015, 30 years later, that $10,000 would have the purchasing power of $22,000. So... I mean, basically, yeah, Woody could have bought a car with that money. So it kind of yeah. makes sense that he would ask Sam for his. Yeah. What did you think about this episode? You know what? At, at first, when the when the episode started, I was thinking like, oh, is this going to be inconsequential? But actually, this is a next step in evolution for some of the characters. So I watched it once to prepare. And then a second time, I really enjoyed it. Me too. And it's it, like, I agree. Like the way it kind of starts off. Uh, it's it's kind of slow going, you know, like as a Woody centric thing with his, his betting and, you know, like the guy's kind of feeling like he's a little naive and they're kind of kind of sending to him. I was like, okay, we've seen that. And then there's this subplot with Frazier and Diane, which I'll come back to, which 
is more kind of a distraction and really kind of shows that at this point they didn't know what to do with Frasier. So you're kind of like, okay, where, where is this one going to go? But by the second act, once you kind of get into the stuff going on with Sam and a little bit Diane, but mostly Sam and Woody, we really see, as you said, like the next step in their relationship and the fact that they refer to coach so overtly and, and like his, his memory and that inspiration is, is, is really kind of a driving point to the resolution of the plot, I think makes this a really kind of stand out, at least the end, like the last five minutes of this episode, I think are really, really special for that. I didn't watch this when it broadcasted at first. Yeah. I mentioned before I've been on this podcast and I jumped in the Rebecca years and like a lot of people say, it seemed like cheers always existed. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, I, I feel like, okay, if I were if I were watching this in real time, let's say I was 17, 31, and really into it, we understand that uh, the actor passed away in real life. But the way the show moved on, it, it just kind of seemed not right. Mm-hmm. And then in this episode, Heidi Perlman, I don't know if she introduced this to the writers, but if you were still unsure, not just about Woody, but just the way this show continued, this made it okay. It was a, a proper send-off. It was almost like a, a Viking funeral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And I, I think part of it was they needed Woody to kind of break out. And one thing that was kind of brought up with a couple of the guests in the early part of this season is a lot of Woody's jokes and a lot of the way his character was used, you could have interchanged those with coach jokes. If Nick Calasanto hadn't died and Ernie Pantuso had been saying those lines, the delivery would have been a little bit different, but the jokes would have still hit kind of the same way. And it's only kind of recently that they've started doing a little bit more with the Woody character, fleshing him out, giving him jokes, giving him things to do that you couldn't do with Coach. And I think that at this point, they know, okay, Woody Harrelson, who was fresh-faced, hadn't done hardly anything before they cast him in this. At this point, I think the showrunners had enough confidence in him as an actor, as a sporting player, as a character. They're like, we need to start fleshing this kid out. We need to start doing more with him and really kind of showing him. In a sense, they need to kind of move away from the specter of Coach's ghost. They need to kind of get him out of that shadow. So I think the fact that they actually do reference Coach and make that a the part of the resolution, I think that was their way of doing that. And something that's interesting, and I'm going to pay attention to this because I'm a, I'm a fan of the podcast, so I'm watching this in real time in linear order. I don't know if I've ever really done that with this show, maybe touch and go here and there or maybe watching 30 episodes in a row and then backing away and then coming back at some other points. Mm-hmm. What I'm going to look at, what's interesting about this is even though Sam is running the bar, it, it's not like Coach was the the patriarch, but you could say that he was. So even though Sam's in charge, he could go, but you know what? Coach is here. I can take off with some honeys Mm -hmm. on a snow weekend, or I can go on a a drunken stupor and, you know, coach will will me back. But now that coach has passed away, Sam now inherits the, you are now the patriarch. You, Mm -hmm. you have to take care of this. And if it wasn't, explicitly stated in this episode they actually said let's keep it in the family and this was the first time where it didn't seem like a bunch of individuals at the bar it was people playing dad mom uncle aunt role to woody and this is like oh this is a family show just like family ties or cosmic show 
<laughs> but it's just it's a different way of defining family. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you're right. Like, cause, cause that it becomes obvious like later on as the show evolves, but it really it's home here that coach was Sam's older brother, uncle, father type of figure. He had that paternal character, you know, like who was, he was always looking out for him. And now the roles have changed where now Sam has to be the big brother to, to Woody and look out for him. And I just, I'm giving away that one of my favorite parts of the episode is when he said, yeah, it worked out just as well as when coach used to do it, which scared the hell out of me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's um, interesting so- too, because I think back then when, like, I remember when chief died on uh, give me a break. I don't know if they, maybe they referred to him a couple of times afterwards, but I think back then you were kind of trained like, okay, the first Mr. Wilson or the first Darren Stevens left. Mm -hmm. We're not going to talk about they're gone or as an actor change. It's just, so the fact that they, you know, talked about coach afterwards, it was like, oh, okay. So this is real. Mm -hmm. I I mean, it's, it takes a certain amount of trust that you're that you're retaining your audience, that your audience is paying enough attention that they remember who you're talking about. So at this point, I think the the numbers were rising that and cheers felt like they had their strong enough audience retention that they could call back to previous episodes, previous seasons, you know. Um, going through the episode, we start off with I really like this teaser. It's it's a short and sweet one. Carla comes up to a customer who's just sitting back uh, by by the door and starts flirting with him instantly. He's like, what do you have? He's like, what do you want? What do you got? These type of things. She's like, I got any. She's like, what, I got whatever you like. And he's like, I'll bet. And it, before long, she's like, you know, maybe maybe it'll help you decide if you whisper your order in my ear. And she literally splays herself out across the table, you know, on her back, you know, like, listen, and he whispers in her ear and she kind of freaks out. And she's like, scotch and soda. Ooh, he's toying with me. And got to get to the credits. What did you think of that teaser? I liked it. I loved it because I, I love looking at it in two different ways because you thought like, oh, he was going to whisper sweet nothings in her ear. But it's like, no, you don't understand. It's Tuesday. I really need to figure out how I'm going to get through the rest of this work week. I need this, this drink. Or mm-hmm. I'm about to go home and I'm taking the long way around. I need this drink. Like, look, I'm not trying to flirt with the waitress. I need the scotch. Mm-hmm. So I loved it. He almost yeah. he had this vibe. He seemed like the guy that's in the Black Widow movie and Stranger Things. Oh, David Harbour. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to think to myself, like, no, that's not him. But he kind of had that vibe to him. Yeah. There's something about his kind of something about his smirk and kind of like the, the brow and everything. He has, has that face. Um, he, the, the character in the in the credits is uh, referred to as Frank. He's played by Arthur Taxler. Um uh, like uh, speaking to some of the other uh, guest credits who, who show up later, um, we do get Frazier back in this episode, who's not a regular yet. Um, we get Return of Al, played by Ra- Al Rosen, who does have a great line in this one. I wrote um, it down. Yeah, the bigger one though is we get Paul, played by the actor Paul Wilson. This is his third appearance on Cheers. He was previously in season one and in season two. Now, in both of those episodes, he he had different names like Glenn and, and something else or something. Um, but this is the first time he's credited as Paul. He will go on to play this character named Paul, Paul Crapens for the rest of his time on cheers. And he has almost 60 episodes in total. Um, he gets really heavy towards the end in like seasons like nine, 10 and 11. So yeah, I, I thought it was cool that, you know, he, he comes back in this one and they're finally starting to have some continuity where they're calling him by the right name. 
you know, and, and credit to the creative team and the writers, because it, so, I mean, we know going forward, we're going to get Frazier. We know the role that Norm and Cliff play. Mm-hmm. So they kind of have a character like play right in between the keys of them, but be his own thing. That's just kind of interesting. That's that's why I think they always have one or two tertiary bar flies, like just hanging on the on the wings that they it. can do something with. Yeah, to make it real. Yeah, really. Um, okay, so before getting into the the real the a plot with Woody and the thing, this Diane and Fraser subplots. Um, I don't know about you. This this didn't work for me, and I, it just kind of so it comes in Fraser walks in and he tells Diane he has this important announcement. He tells her he's completely over her. He's no longer harboring romantic thoughts, no longer obsessed. He just wants her to know that. But oh, by the way, he's going away for the weekend and would she come with him? And she's like, mm-hmm. no, of course not. So she rejects him and immediately he starts criticizing her and now he's getting really petty. Throughout the episode, he's criticizing her grammar or syntax or like word choices and everything and it's just it's more annoying than anything. You can see her annoyance. Like what have you been reduced to? Why are you this pathetic now? Um, And that's kind of how I felt. And, and at this point, it's kind of like, you're looking at it like where Frazier started in like the beginning of this season when he came to confront Sam and pull a gun on him, but the gun wasn't loaded. And then he started, he actually started working at cheers, just sweeping up the floors and they quickly forgot about that. So now he shows up like every two or three episodes and, they don't really have a place for him yet. And I think this is this was just this transitional period where the showrunners smartly liked the actor and liked the character. They're like, we need to hold on to this guy. We need to keep using him. But they just didn't have a point right now. Um, they're like, are he are he in like is he still a romantic foil for Sam? Like, is he still possibly gonna take Diane away for from him? Probably not. Well, then why is he at the bar all the time? Like, these are not his people. Not yet. They will eventually. So it's just, they're just in this weird stage right now where they don't know what to do with him. Did you, I mean, what did you think about this subplot? Did you, did you, am I wrong? You're not wrong. And and that's why I was a little worried at first. Like, oh, am I going to like this episode? I think when you, when you zoom out and you're like, oh, it's, uh, it's it's uh, Diane and Fraser. They're bickering. You're like, okay, we're used to this. This could lead to some comedic stuff. But when you kind of zoom in and you really talk about like what this is about, it, it's about an ex boyfriend showing up at his ex's job, bothering her. And now it's like, whoa, this is weird. But when you're in this world of Cheers, you're just like, oh, well, this is just one of the uh, dynamics. Yeah, yeah. Because even like. Even though, the, like, there's at one point where they're talking to Woody and they're trying to get him to, like, think about, like, the, um, think about the bet and how he's, how he's, what his system is that he's just randomly picking these teams that are long shots and they're laughing at him and they're saying is trying to coach him out of going with a bookie that is going to lose his, his whole savings. And Frazier steps in. He's like, hi, I've been listening to what's been going on for the last couple of minutes and I, I need to say something. And they're like, okay, well, here's a professional psychologist. What is your insight? And he says, like, Diane has made 17 errors in, like, diction and, uh, like, point of reference or something. Like, this weird thing. And you could just, like, everybody's like, why the hell are you here, dude? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Credit to Kelsey Grammer, because if it would have been a, forgive me for saying so, a lesser actor, it would not have just, I mean, think about it. You know, we, we love Frazier. So is we'll accept it. 
But mm-hmm. like if he was weaselly or we just never liked him, because think about this. Okay. Sam Malone, that's one of the most beloved characters in television history. And we still want Frazier to come back. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What a great actor. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's credit to the, the strength of Kelsey Grammer. You're absolutely right. But also like the way the, the character was mostly 99 out of a hundred times the way he was handled, the way he was written. And I do think they kind of salvaged that because at the very end, when he comes back in, in act two, when he's like, yeah, I, I was away like for the whole weekend on the middle of a frozen lake, like ice fishing or something like that. And I finally put you out of my, out of my mind. Will you forgive me? And she says, apology accepted. And he's like, uh, in, like frag- sentence fragment or something. And you can see he's so disgusted in himself. He's so like astonished that he, that he can't get over it, that he like runs out of there himself. So you're like, okay, he, he knows what's wrong. So. So uh, Brian, did Heidi Perlman, does she work on taxi? Because she really fits the cut of what this show is. So I'm just wondering. I mean, yeah, she, I mean, she works on Cheers for a long time. She becomes one of right. the showrunners for a couple seasons. Um, so it's just kind of interesting. I wonder how she joined this creative team. Plus, because I know uh, her sister was on Taxi. Actually, Cheers might, it looks like Cheers was her first writing credits. So she just submitted so the script she, and they I kept think, her on. I think she, I mean, she might have been working on other stuff, but it looks like they she probably got it just because of because of her sister, Rhea Perlman, probably put in a good word or something. She wrote one well, like one script a season for the first two or three years and then really started like coming on and becoming one of the one of the main showrunners. Actually, most of her writing credits are this season. Uh this for she is one of the, the main producers for this season. Um, she would occasionally come back, but it looks like from there she started working. She probably used that, spun this off onto her own shows. So because it seems like this is the first episode where it was where she wrote it, and it's not Carla heavy. She was co-creator on the Tracy Ullman show. After this, oh wow, that was wow. That's the the introduction of the Simpsons. Yes, yeah, it was. So yeah, that was. It looks like eighty-seven. So one or two years after this, she she went right into Tracy Ullman show. All right, so then getting into the main plot with uh, what he's betting and what he's gambling. They're, they're saying he's on the verge of winning his third game straight. And he's like, yeah, well, I've always been a lucky guy. Back home, I won a haircut. And Norm kind of turns around. He's like, what kind of contest was that? And Woody explains, like, well, it wasn't a contest. It was just policy. If the barber nicked your ear, you got a free haircut. <laughs> he Woody would think that makes him lucky because the implication is the barber cut your ear. I love it. Yeah. Um, the guys when when Diane tries to get Sam to talk him out of it, he's he mentioned that gambling is part of a boy's passage into maturity. And they say it's just like visiting a cat house, whizzing off a balcony, or mooning someone from the back of a car. And Cliff is like, or all three in the same night. <laughs> So okay, now when we say a cat house, so we uh, a brothel, a house of prostitution. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess they just threw that out out there. Like, if this doesn't send her away and start making her wait on tables, I don't know what will. But I was just <laughs> like, wow, that was a heck of a thing to kind of joke about. Like, yeah, a cat house. <laughs> it, it, immediately, it immediately made me think about uh, Tom and Jerry with those alley cats. <laughs> So, okay, they were watching NFL football, and it wasn't Monday night because they said there were a number of games. And Norm, he was in a suit. So I, I, I'm just thinking, okay, so this was a Sunday. 
I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I've been watching Cheers now in the kind of skew of what if there's another shift? You know, <laughs> what what if the workers, they're not there from open to close? What if like on or like, you know, we, we kind of think that Is there are other bartenders Cliff, and waitresses that we never see. Yes. And we're under the impression that Norm and Cliff, they're there every day. But if you go to a bar every Tuesday, Thursday, that's enough for you to be a regular. And for a lot of people to know you, you wouldn't have to go every day for that status. You know, the other thing is that I, I mean, I just if they're watching Sunday football, why is Cliff wearing his uniform? <laughs> yeah. So he's not yeah. delivering the mail on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to think about it too hard because I don't <laughs> yeah. want to. I don't want to yeah. break the magic. I hope saying that Norm's not going every day. I hope that doesn't break the magic or that there's other people there working on another shift. But that could definitely be a, a spinoff or a reimagining like Lower Decks, but the other shift at Cheers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Yeah. Wednesday <laughs> Wednesdays was Latin night. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just imagine like that the one episode of like off hours, the off night or something when like Norm walks in for some reason and nobody recognizes him. <laughs> like they actually have a bartender you've never seen before. Like, hi, what's your name? Can I get you something? <laughs> and it like, doesn't yeah. set him up for this. They could call the show Monday, Tuesdays or my weekend. <laughs> Industry night. Um all right. So Sam agrees to to have him bet with his uh with his bookie and then come back from the commercial and they're like, Hey, he hit his parlay gets $10,000 and Sam is quick to drag Diane and back and uh, giving away another one of my, my home runs, one of the best gags of the thing. He tells her, he's like, I did something that at the moment it felt so good, but it turned out to be so bad. And Diane just sits down, processes this and calmly says, what's her name and how many months? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give it away too, where uh, Diane throughout this whole episode, she is legitimately just trying to work her shift and actually is trying to help. Mm -hmm. My favorite part of this whole episode is when she just, you know, Woody's like, Hey, I want to bet a thousand dollars. And Diane just goes to Sam and she just says, Hey, I don't think we should encourage him to gamble. Mm-hmm. And not just in a, I'm Diane, I think I know everything. Like, no, I'm actually trying to help. This right. is down a road of yikes. Right. Well, she actually described it as illegal, you know, activities or something like that. So it's not just like the, <laughs> the risk of losing, but she's like, what well, is an innocent? He's this naive kid. Don't, don't get him involved in something CD or that could, you know, get him, put him in real danger or jeopardy or something like that. So, I know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> a friend of a friend of a friend. I love that. Yeah. And is he the bookie? No, but his friend is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. So Diane tells Sam, she's like, for the first time in your life, you did you had the right intentions and it still blew up in your face. Um, and then she comes up, she comes up with the best plan. He's Sam's like, How am I gonna get out of this? She's like, Well, we do know that Woody picked the right teams, right? So what if you just went to the bookie and asked him to give you the money? Like, just it's like, yeah, he'll trust you. Right. It's like, are you nuts? Yeah. And you know what? Sam did not rip into her. Like he could have, but yeah, that was like, Oh, poor Diane. That's, that's so sweet that you would think these bookies would work on an honor system. Right. I think at that point <laughs> he was still more concerned about his own, 
his own yeah. integrity in his own situation. But yeah, he was just like shaking his head. I was like, how, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, at the beginning of the season, when Woody shows up, you guys talked about, remember when Woody hopped the, the bar and Sam kind of looked at him like, yeah. Oh, yeah. that was my mortality right there. Like, yeah, I am getting older. I could still do that, but I would have to mentally prepare. So you start thinking about mortality. So I, I like this whole thing of I try to look in Woody's best interest. Like I can still have my fun. I'm Sam Malone. But you know what? I think I do need to mentor this kid. I think I, I need to help him out. I'm not going to let him lose his money to my buddy. That's a Bucky. Right. So Diane has this idea that she'll, she'll talk to Woody and maybe she'll let him know that, you know, the money's not that important, that there are other things. So she pulls him aside and he kind of gives her this speech, this wonderful speech about how his family never had a lot of money and his parents did everything they could to sacrifice for him. And his mom, you know, always, she had this speech about how she gave up on her dreams in order to raise the family and take care. And and wouldn't it be something if he could send her this money so that she could live her dream? And, And Diane's like, oh, Woody, what was your mom's dream? And he says, she wanted to be the drummer in a power trio. Right. He, he credits Ginger Baker from Cream. Right. <laughs> I wish you knew how much I loved that. Uh, pa- <laughs> I love power trios. Like, that's yeah. my favorite thing. Like, garage rock bands. She said, he said, uh, she wanted to always be in a power trio. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. Hero is Ginger Baker. <laughs> Good lord, that was insane because yeah. I didn't know where this was going. Like, what? Okay, he's gonna. We know the punchline is coming. What is it going to be? My yeah. mom always wanted to be in a power trio. <laughs> so Sam, he has one last ditch effort before before he has to confess. He takes Woody and says, "What if he? What if Sam would be his financial planner and he would think about his long term prospects instead of wasting all the money right away? <laughs> what if I just?" give you a dollar extra for the next 10,000 weeks. And he's like, and when, when Woody's like, nah, I don't think so. I was like, you're really, you know, you're, you're not thinking about the tax benefits of this, right? Norm? And Norm is like, Oh yeah, he'll, he'll appreciate that when he reaches the age of 412. Wow. And you, okay. Sam was very calm. Like is, is Sam knew he messed up. So when yeah. he drove to work, I messed up, but he seemed like, but he's old enough to know, if I just get through the shift, it's over mm-hmm. because he knew he messed up, but he knew like, but this will pass. I don't know. It was just, it was very interesting mm-hmm. because they don't know what he yet. You don't know. Like, will he rage out? Will he walk off the job? What's going to happen? I like that. Everybody else kind of seemed to be oblivious of what's going on. Like really like <laughs> Sam, like really was embarrassed and just wanted to keep it between him and Diane. So like when Sam is trying to tell, tell like Woody trying to come up with this financial planning scheme, Norman and Cliff are just watching TV. Like they're barely listening to the conversation. They go back into the office and Sam, Sam confesses and he tells them, and he, he I love the, this is where he says, I tried to take care of you just the way coach used to take care of me. And it worked out just as well. <laughs> and, and he's expecting Woody to blow up, but Woody just kind of gets up and shakes his hand, tries to hug him. And he's like, that's the nicest thing anybody ever did for me was looking out for me like this. And that just makes Sam feel more guilty. He's like, why aren't you mad? Why aren't you yelling? And he finally like provokes provokes Woody into doing that or Woody wants his car or something. And Woody's like, like, 
when he's like, you're, you're not really like that, all that, like feeling guilty. It was just like lip talk. You don't really feel guilty at all. You're, and he like throws something off the desk and he's like, I'm going to get my bag and go. He's like, wait, why, why are you leaving? He's like, well, I just yelled at you. I can't work here anymore. <laughs> like he turns it around again and makes Sam feel terrible. Like this kid is so naive that he thinks that just yelling at his boss like this is going to get him fired instantly. I feel like I know Woody when he was. Yes. Doing that. Yes. That's the thing. I, I think if you if you just thought like, oh, Woody's just coming in, filling in, uh, just he's just a placeholder, just telling jokes. I think this one, he showed a lot of depth. Yeah, again, yeah, that's I think that's what they needed for this episode. They finally yeah. had to to give Woody make make Woody a fully fledged character and we get to know him more and love him more. And and yeah, that's that's this whole the whole last couple of minutes about this were and then and then to reference that this was coach's trick. If you can stand arm in arm and sing home home on the range with somebody for half an hour, you can't possibly hold a grudge. <laughs> I believe in that. Like you can't say puppies angrily, but I, w- <laughs> I will say this, and I'm not trying to talk about reincarnation, but the universe really did send Woody to cheers. Cause it really doesn't make sense why Woody went to cheers. The universe sent him and it just, it feels good. Mm-hmm. Like we lost coach and they sent us Woody. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay, looking at Norm's tab, he had three beers this episode, which brings him up to 328 for the series. For the employee of the week, I mean, everybody did a good job, but I thought this was obviously Woody's episode, and I totally gave it to him between his scenes in the office with uh, Sam, but also his monologue to Diane about his mom and everything like that. I just thought this was such a, a breakout episode for Woody, so. I'm going to agree. I was going to go with Diane for the first time, just because I just like the fact that she was really just trying to get through her shift. Mm-hmm. You know, she got her boy, ex-boyfriend and Sam's problems, and she didn't really badger Sam about, see, I told you, you shouldn't have had him gambling. She was actually trying to help. But you're right. We get a strong performance from Woody. Um, I don't think anyone was doubting him because one thing that helps, especially when they first meet him, Carla goes like, yeah, we can keep him. The gang approved him. So it's like, well, if the gang approves him, I guess I'm fine with it. But yeah, I'll give Woody employee of the the month. Cool. Um, For home run. uh, This was one where my favorite part of the episode wasn't necessarily just a line. It was, what we talked about at the beginning with the sort of the passing the torch from coach to Woody that I felt like the, the invoking coach's name. So deliberately at the end of this episode helped kind of pass the mantle of this character um, that, that we loved so much. And it was a nice, as you kind of said, because of the singing at the end, it almost kind of had this Viking funeral feeling for coach while also you know, making Woody the new heir apparent and this type of role. And, and yeah, it was just really good. So that was, it, that was a good feeling. That was my favorite part of the episode. A um, send off. Yeah. Uh, as a, as a runner up again, I go back to the, when Sam says I did something that felt so right when I did it, but now it turned out to be wrong. And Diane's who, who what's her name and how many months that was my favorite <laughs> line. My favorite line was I thought I'd have a conniption. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that was so good. I forgot. Al's I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. I, I got to tell you this, all the young people out there, are, I, I know that appointment television isn't a thing, but just imagine watching this on a Thursday night 
and then going to bed and having to go to school that Friday, it would just feel so good. Oh. That, that was me for a couple of years when I, when I was watching the later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, t- I totally forgot. That's, that's Al's one part of this when, when <laughs> Frazier corrects Diane, cause she's, she's quoting Schopenhauer and she says like, uh, I actually had to write, write the whole dialogue down. Um, Schopenhauer said that noise was the most contemptuous of all interruptions and Frazier corrects her he's, he's appalled that she would get this wrong and he says noise is the most impertinent of all forms of interruption and he said she said contemptuous can you believe that and he just mentions it casually to the person standing next to him and it's al the sinatra guy and al just yes. was like, i thought i'd have a conniption and it's you're right just every time oh every time he said a line it was just solid gold chef's kiss beautiful i love him <laughs> oh. All right. Well, Ashford, thank you very much for coming on this episode to talk about it. Um, where else can people find you if they want to hear more from you in the podcastosphere? Yes. Just if you go to any of the podcasters and you type in right on network, that is W-R-I-G-H-T on network, you'll find me and on Twitter, reach me at Huntress Podcast at Huntress Podcast. Thanks a lot, Ryan. No problem. Thank you very much once again. And thanks to all of you out there who listen to Cheerscast and support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook, favoriting and retweeting on Twitter, and leaving a comment on the website fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Ashford right here on for, from the Right On Podcast Network, as well as Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents and Monday Movie Muckabout, who sponsor the show. For more information on how you can support your favorite show on the Fire and Water Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and until next time, we're closed. I think Schopenhauer put it aptly when he said, noise is the most contemptuous of all forms of interruption. Impertinent! Excuse me. What you were trying to say was... Noise is the most impertinent of all forms of interruption. She said contemptuous. Can you believe that? I thought I'd have a conniption. (laughs) 